Oscar Poker. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, Always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry Howdy Hey Hey, hey, hey Hey, Eric How's it going? It's going. How's it going with you? Pretty good. Are you feeling better? I am actually better today than than the last couple of days, thank God. Jesus, with the sickness already. God. I'm like, and it just went like in a huge circle of our family. It was awful. Oh, God. <laughs> I know, Jeff. Jeff, are you there? Yeah, how do I sound? You sound great. Good. So I don't have to put the headphones on? I sound okay? Yep, you sound really, really good, I think. It does sound good. Yeah. Um, are you in Santa Barbara? Uh, room 214 at the Santa Barbara Holiday Inn, looking out the window at a really, really radiant, beautiful blue sky. So it's warm. It's one of the mm-hmm. best. Uh, I mean, really, it's, you know, climate change. It's been getting colder every year that I've been going. I can remember like five, six, seven years ago. Was, oh, this is great. This is, uh, you know, let's wear our T-shirts. Let's go bike riding. And then it got colder. And now it's uh, now it's pleasant again. It's really nice. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here. Um, I think the thing to do is to stay indoors and do podcasts, but I, but it's really nice outside. <laughs> yeah, it's like seventy five degrees here right now. It's crazy, <laughs> and it's winter. <laughs> um, yeah. Are we recording? No. Yes, recording. we're recording. I am. Yeah, I'm recording. Oh. I, I came prepared this time. Okay, so this is the Oxford uh, Debating Society. Um, here we are <laughs> on the Oxford campus, <laughs> and the and the, uh, the the proposal, the the topic of the day. Is that uh, is that uh, the, the Big Short, uh, which uh, has been uh, enjoying uh, a, a certain momentum, an indisputable m- momentum since the PGA Awards, has been in the conversation. Will it do it? Will it do it? If if uh, if you know if if, if uh, Adam uh, wins last night, uh, it would be pretty much over. It'll be a, a route to the Best Picture Oscar. Tragedy. It's it all stopped last night, uh, and it all. <laughs> But what you see is something that we've not had, except for unless you count 2013, where you had Gravity um, taking the, the DGA and Gravity and 12 Years a Slave sharing the PGA and um, American Hustle taking the SAGs. That's three different guild representations, but really it was two movies. And but 2000. We, and 2006 kind of had a, a little right, bit of but that. but not with the preferential ballot. That's the no. difference. I'm, I don't go back. I, I mean, I try really hard not to because that's the I only know. thing that makes a difference. If not for the preferential ballot. Uh, Salad, Sasha, be, I know that you're, again, you're, you're smarter about this stuff and more researched than I. But for the dumb people out there like me, could you just take a minute and explain to the dummies what you mean when you yes, say preferential absolutely. Ballot? Okay, so here's the thing. In a race like this one, you have four 
um, films heading into the producers guild, right? Four films that people are going to vote for their number one that they like. Not five. No, producers guild. I'm talking about producers guild had ten nominees, but yeah. we assume we're assuming that maybe four of them were the strongest, maybe five. We don't know how it ranked, but what we do know is out of that result of ten movies with a preferential ballot, the Big Short won, and the reason that I think it won is because it hit more number twos than Revenant or Mad Max. And I think Revenant and Mad Max are number one movies more than they are number two. I don't think if you like The Revenant, it's going to be a number two movie. I think it's a number one movie or it's like you didn't like it. And so that hurts it with a, a preferential ballot unless it comes in with the most number ones and it hits that target number the first time through, and that's possible for The Revenant. That's its, that's its way in. But mm -hmm. if it doesn't, if it, hits, if it hits the magic number and they have to do a recount, the films that are number two on people's lists and threes on people's lists will start to pile up. So if The Big Short comes in with a healthy amount of number ones of people who love the movie, let's say Bernie Sanders people, Susan Sarandon, people like that. Oh, my God. Gets, Talk about framing, Sasha. Oh, but that's, that's a fair <laughs> If it gets to the top, then, it, it, then you take a movie like, let's say you're counting up, and you go, okay, Mad Max is taken out. All right. So people maybe... Some people that liked Mad Max, maybe they put The Revenant there, but or maybe they put The Big Short there, or maybe they put Spotlight there. But I'm guessing, and I could be totally wrong, that the Spotlight people are going to be more aligned with the more traditional films like Bridge of Spies and Brooklyn than they are with a film like The Revenant. And so I think that its extremeness, its divisiveness, its love it or hate it helps it on a five- picture ballot like it was at the DGA because all you need for that is the most number of votes. The yep. most number of votes wins, whether it wins by two or whether it wins by a thousand, it mm -hmm. wins on the most. And, and it wasn't up against Spotlight. Spotlight wasn't up against it. And Spotlight had the same thing. Now it's true that it hurts the big short that it lost to Spotlight on a majority vote at the SAG. That hurts it. That shows that it's not as strong um, as Spotlight with a huge consensus, yeah. but it doesn't, it also shows the PGA is important. It can't be discarded because the way the votes were counted out, if they, if the, basically people are still thinking along those terms, however it was, if they don't shift, like if they see Revenant won the DGA and they shift to the Revenant, which is possible, if, if that shift and that momentum starts to happen, they could just say, okay, well, I'm not, so sure that I like Mad Max anymore. I'm going to put The Revenant at number one, or maybe I'm going to put Big Short at number one, The Revenant at number two. However it switches or shifts, it hasn't done that since they've implemented the preferential ballot in 2009. Never. So this would be a first. And it's possible. I mean, I didn't ever think in a million years. I mean, stats-wise, only two people could really win the DGA last night. Only two had... BAFTA, Oscar, and DGA, and that was Inaritu and Adam McKay. They're the only two. I yeah. thought, no way are they going to give him a back-to-back. -back. But I did think that if it weren't for that, he would win. Um, because I didn't feel strongly that Adam McKay would. I don't think anybody did. I mean, it was sort of like, he seems like the right one, but we could be anybody else. I, I felt I felt strong because it was statistics, and I, and I get myself in trouble by, you know, making these weird last-minute you know, changes in my predictions of what, you know, I think might happen. And it, it backfired on me because three days ago I had Inuritu winning and McKay as my alternate. And then I, I flipped it just looking at, 
you know, statistically the best chance. I know. Same here. And you know what? I have to give you credit, Eric. I I mean, I really do. I have to just eat humble pie with you for a minute because you were all over the Revenant and I kind of dismissed it. And, you know, I don't like to do that. I know I hate it when people do it to me. So um, I apologize for that. Oh, not at all. I just wanted you to know that. Sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. No, thank you. I just want to interject a, a, a notion about statistics and precedent. If you, uh, if the three of us were in a room flipping a half dollar coin and we, uh, let's say Sasha was doing the flipping and she flips it five times and it comes up heads all five times, what would be the odds of it coming up heads a sixth time? Yeah. Just, just talking about what, yeah, what Jeff is talking about. Each, each time the odds get, get worse and worse. It gets worse and worse. So the six would be like ridiculous. It's not going to come up heads. Well, However, let's bring in David Poland from who's been standing outside and say, David, we're about to flip a coin. What are the odds that it will come up heads? And he will say, well, 50-50. Right, but it doesn't really work that way because there's a couple of other things to consider. And I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I think that, Eric, should you guys should absolutely follow your instincts and say, yes, the Revenant all the way. Yes, Big Short is dead. But I, I don't even think that it is. I think that there's three movies that could theoretically win Best Picture. And I think Spotlight's one of them. And I don't think that it's just a done deal. And the reason for the re- my hesitation on the Revenant is not just that he has to make Oscar history by winning, and he just made DGA history, but he has to now, again, make Oscar history because directors have won back-to-back the Oscars. They just have never won Best Picture. So yeah. that's surmountable. That's not mm-hmm. something, if they love a movie, they're going to vote for it no matter what. That's not something we really have to worry about. But there are a couple of other things, like, for instance, it has no BAFTA screenplay. They gave a screenplay nomination to Gravity and to the artist, and they didn't give any to Revenant there or at the Oscars. No film has ever won BAFTA, even if you go back past their validated, you know, validated history. I mean, you have to go back to like the 70s. It's like they really do value. And then the fact that The Revenant has divisive reviews, like those two things hurt it on a preferential ballot. They just do. But um, so if it wins the BAFTA, that means, as many are predicting it will, that means they're totally disregarding the screenplay thing and they don't care. Um, yeah. And the only movie, by the way, that has screenplay director and picture at the BAFTA is The Big Short, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the only one. So friend has told me, by the way, it suggested that if The Big Short on Oscar night wins best editing, it could go the crash route, winning three, best pick, editing, and screenplay. And Argo. Um, oh, no, wait, did Argo? Argo won some? Yeah, Argo won editing. And supporting actor, right? So it won four. No, no, screenplay. Oh, it didn't win supporting... Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, it could be like Argo. Um, it wouldn't be the crash route, though, because the crash route would be spotlight winning, sort of. Okay. No, I, I think what Jeff means is that you're looking at the same three wins, basically, as, like, minimal as minimal wins. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, and, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm always struggling now with the change in, in 2009 of, of how far I want to look back and how many comparisons I want to make. But... <clears throat> When, when you look at the SAG-DGA-PGA splits from like 2000, 2001, and 2004, uh, two of those times, uh, the DGA winner was the uh, eventual uh, Best Picture and Best Director winner, and that was Beautiful Mind and Million Dollar Baby, and then Gladiator was the PGA winner, but the DGA loser. 
there's never been a situation where just the SAG win pushes them to a Best Picture win. So right. that puts Spotlight in a pretty tough position. It does, stats-wise. But again, like we don't know how the preferential ballot is going to count down and what. Mm-hmm. Is, I mean, look at this. Look at it this way, you guys. Like, here's something to consider, and and I agree with you on that. Um, uh, and I and I think obviously we all know that if there were five pictures up, it would be the revenants all the way, and there wouldn't even be a question. So it's only the preferential ballot that makes you think, hmm, maybe not, because of its divisive nature, and if it doesn't come in at them, you know, there are a lot of people who flat out hate the revenant, hate it. So it's not like it's and like that's and Sasha. You and I know that there's been some reactions from our very first exposure to that film that just suggested that at best it's going to be hardcore Inuritu fans and Lubeski fans and people that love art movies, quote unquote. That's right. But, but it's not going to be a big hit. As we speak today, and this is, I'm as flabbergasted as the next person. It's at over 300 million right now worldwide. And it probably, because it hasn't been out there that long, and of course it's going to get some kind of bump from the, you know, from the, from the awards attention. It's probably going to go to four, four fifty, which will, uh, from what I hear from Stephen Gatiss of Variety, will break it even. That's it needs to get into the four hundred. In any case, it's doing very well. Yeah. That you have to. I, I, I do look at domestic though when I'm looking at it in terms of the Oscars. The only movie I've ever seen really impress them, well, Gravity and, and Life of Pi, but those didn't win Best Picture. They just won Best Director. So, yeah, yeah I'm 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 going full in and predicting that the Revenant is going to be the first big major sweep. That includes Best Pictures and Slumdog. I'm I'm all in. Good. That's good. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it or even make any kind of snide comment because I think it's right. You're right. I mean, I don't personally think that. I don't think that without a... Um, uh, well, you're not saying sweep in terms of uh, supporting actor. You mean uh, Lebesky and, and, and... No, I mean, I mean getting more than like six or seven. I think it's going to end up dominating where a lot of people thought that Mad Max was going to be able to, to take a lot of text. I think it's going to eat away at that. I think it could. I think there's a possibility. I mean, the one thing the Revenant has going for it, and it actually hurts it with this preferential system that we have, is the that really passionate love, but not like. And that is the thing. Like, it, that's the only drawback it has is that it's you don't have a lot of people go, yeah, I really like the Revenant. <laughs> you hear a lot of people go, oh, my God, did you see the Revenant? Or you hear, ugh, the Revenant. Like, you don't hear... <laughs> I don't know. I was like the 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 former. Um, I just I just guessed it on another podcast just a few minutes before starting this one, and I put forth a, a theory that if Birdman had come after The Revenant, that we would not be seeing the same situation. I think that Birdman happening last year and The Revenant happening this year, and the you know the appearance and the campaign of the level of difficulty and the epic scope of it is what helps it because it looks like here's this like sort of intimate talky movie and then the very next movie he does is this massive yeah. uh lower on dialogue huge epic piece and i think the progression of the one to the other is what makes the revenant such a a, a thing that people can look at and go oh wow okay yeah. this is a, this is a big deal but if it'd been reversed we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's absolutely true. And I, but we still have the screenplay problem, which is a problem. If they nominated gravity screenplay, it's a problem. No, it is. I, I I get that. I mean, it is a problem that people, you know, I saw this one op-ed and out of the UK where the woman was talking about, and she was saying, you know, there's nothing to this story. 
he goes and he gets revenge and he comes back. And a lot of people see it like that. Is very. I'm not saying it can't win. I think it has an equal chance right now with with uh, with the other two. I'm I'm only going to remain skeptical because I don't know how many firsts and unusual making history things I can predict in one in one season. And I'm I'm fine being wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times. But I will say that many of the pundits predicting gravity ended up wrong for that very reason. They thought it's making a lot of money, it's too big to ignore, it won the DGA and the PGA. But guess what it didn't have? Yeah. Guess what it didn't have? Mm -hmm. SAG Ensemble nomination. And everybody mm -hmm. goes, oh, it came out too late, and everybody always dismisses the SAG Ensemble nomination. But you know what? It matters. It does. It matters to the... Uh, to the actors. It, ma now, it, matter, it matters until it doesn't, but yeah, I agree. But it matters until it doesn't. So now we've got a knockout screenplay, we've got a knockout SAG ensemble, and we've got a knockout winning back-to-back. -back. That's three hardcore... Now, it might just... You guys both love the movie more than I do. For me, it's like number four of all the best picture contenders. It's it's behind Spotlight, actually. I think Spotlight's a better movie than The Revenant. And I think oh, it's, it's probably number four at best for me. Yeah, it's number four. Yeah, I, I do think it's a great, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it winning. I think it's a beautiful, accomplished, stunning, breathtaking film. Um, so you can't fault them if they pick that movie. You can't. I'm just I'm just interested in... It's the movie that delivers the biggest and, and most um, uh, a tangy feast. It's, 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 it's the biggest meal. It has the most uh, aspects to, in a culinary sense, than, than, than any other film. <laughs> That's Is that true, a fair way of putting it? Yeah, no, I agree with you that it's that it is that it's it's the one that delivers that full meal that they're often looking for. Yeah, uh, but that doesn't mean it'll win. Look at Red's loss to Chariots of Fire. <laughs> I, mean, I know that wasn't the preferential ballot, and it does make a difference there. But the twelve years it's, of slavery—that's still a crazy win, no matter that was how one. you cut it. It yeah. is. It is. It's a crazy win. And Ignominious. That was a really, really. That was that was a, uh, a a king speech moment in my view. Yeah. It was. It was inexplicable. It was one of those crazy things. But usually, before the preferential ballot and the um, all the way when I first started and on through to two thousand nine, the DGA called best picture. Period. Period. The end. Mm -hmm. And even since then, it's called best picture, except for once, and that was twenty thirteen, where it didn't. And that made me look at the power of the preferential ballot a little bit differently and trying to understand why it, it works the way it does. What it, what it wants to do, it doesn't, want, it doesn't want to reward the best. It wants to reward the majority's choice. So uh, if you come in, like let's say you're Titanic, you're going to come in with the most number of number ones. And it's not even going to be a question because it won't trigger the recount. It'll be like, I mean, I think that's what Steve Pond said. Like if it comes in with a huge majority, an overwhelming majority, it wins, and they don't even bother recounting the piles. Yeah, I the think. more we talk about statistics, precedents, and what's likely, and mathematically the prob probability and whatnot, the more people's eyes glaze over. Can we talk about the? Um, I mean, this is fine. We've covered it. But can we talk about the stunning uh, a gap of, of, of opinion, difference of opinion between? Elite, smart, know-it-all critics, and the average uh, public, as far as the just opened Coen Brothers film, which apparently is, is dead in the water because of the way it was rated by people, particularly older people, but younger people across the board, it did very poorly, according to an Anthony mm. D'Alessandro piece in Deadline yesterday morning. Do you have to read that? No, 
I don't really. Yeah, it has like a C minus uh, cinema score. That's terrible. Well, you know, um, Revenant has a B plus, which Oscar terms is not that great. No, it's really bad. I'm reading here, 52% of the over 25 male audience gave it a D plus on cinema score. Oh, God. <clears throat> and that post track, which is affiliated with rent track, which is like, a, you know, a, 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 you know, after they've seen it, uh, it yeah. it's, it's, it's the aspect of the business that, that checks reactions. Only 40% of the audience plans to recommend uh, Hail Caesar to their friends, which is like, that's, that's, you're, it's dead. That's it. It's over. I mean, if you've got, you know, 70, 80%, 90%, then obviously you're doing well, but not 40%. Yeah. Yeah. So, but their, their movies rarely have a wide audience. I don't see why isolating a Coen Brothers movie for this makes a whole lot of sense. It's not like it's an extra big failure, really. <laughs> Can I just change the subject really they're, fast? They're too gifted and too uh, – their stuff is too sharp and too well-observed. Uh, there's never – there's no – there can't be any such thing as a failure, in at least in my view, of a Cohen – even, even um, uh, the Lady Killers has stuff that's good that I enjoyed. So it's, there's always something. These, they're just too good. But this seems to be a, a standout that uh, – I mean even with, uh, say, uh, Inside Lewin Davis, weren't we all – very pleased with that. Doesn't that film get better and better the more times you watch it? I mean, it's it's one of those things. This is not one of those things, in my humble opinion. Yeah. No opinions? You guys uh, don't I just, care? I you haven't seen it movie? yet, but I do know that Big Lebowski was a movie that a lot of people were down on. They probably would have gotten a bad cinema score, too, but, but that movie just, I mean, I loved it when it first came out, and it, it just grew in esteem. I think it will, like all Coen Brothers movies, find its, its cult audience. Um, I agree. Whether or not it hits, you know, they're, they're kind of just, you know, they revolve in their own universe. At the same time, you can, I think you're, you're on to something, though, Jeff, when you say that um, it really does sort of show a stark evolution or change in the kind of films that are being released and the kind of audiences that are going to see the movies. Like, there is a big disconnect there, you know, and that it's a, it's a stark one. I think it's the same one that sort of, you know, why Steve Jobs bombed, for instance. You know, like there is there is a change that's happening. Um, it's also Super Bowl weekend, right? <laughs> it's just a bad weekend period. It has nothing to do with the reactions to the to the Coen Brothers movie. Hmm. I don't know. I don't really. Oh, I guess no. I don't really care. <laughs> I saw it on Friday, and they thought they said what they said, and the Super Bowl's today. So we're, I don't see the how it how it applies. Well, it's just he's yeah. I mean, it's just like it's not a big box office. It's not going to be a big box office weekend. But um, but you didn't see it, right, Sasha? I haven't seen it yet. No, I want to see it. I will see it eventually. But um, but I didn't feel like I needed to rush out to see it or anything. Put well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you didn't even want to, you know, you, something told you, eh, I can, I can give this a little time. It did. It, I could tell kind of from, you know, sometimes they're there, they can be hit and miss. And, um, if I was a paid film critic, I would definitely be like first in line to see it. But, um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, I just wanted to just follow up really quickly on one thing about the Oscars that we haven't talked about. Here we are, me and Eric, predicting that, um, Adam McKay for the big short. Everybody gives us mountains of shit for that. Meanwhile, the entire Gold Derby team pick, predicted George Miller to win. Not one person says anything about it. Like, what's yeah, up with yeah. that? Yeah, Tom, Tom predicted Inuri too, and, and good on him for doing it. But, yeah, I, I was really kind of pissed off last night, as you know, because you were too, that we were being taken to task for, for, for predicting him when everybody else was predicting Miller and had no no actual reason to do it other than 
something that they wanted. To be mean. And it was like, even people who got it wrong still said, you guys got it wrong. It's like... Oh my God, I was so pissed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, look at you. Who who do you think you are? (laughs) I mean, at least we knew it wasn't going to be George Miller. I I think that the people... Yeah, thank you. (laughs) People who were predicting George Miller were doing so for what seemed to be like a reasonable reason, which is that they were reluctant to give the DGA award a second year in a row to Inuritu. They didn't feel strongly enough about the uh, swirling cinematic hand of Tom Tom McCarthy. So it was just a natural thing that, well, you know, George is in his 70s, and he's done this wonderful film that everybody loves, and it's one of the great uh, action films of all time. So let's give him a a moment, and because we obviously respect and and admire him. But it, you know, they they, they didn't. But it seemed sensible to me. I mean, that's why I was sort of saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if George Miller won? But we knew because of the stats. Me and Eric knew he wasn't going to win because he didn't have a BAFTA nomination. Yeah, he doesn't have a BAFTA nomination. The only thing that Miller had going in was having the most uh, Critics Awards wins for Best Director. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a situation like Alfonso Cuaron. It It wasn't that. It wasn't so, even like Inaritu, who does have a BAFTA nomination. He was going to be one of the two. I just faulted with McKay because I thought they won't do it again. I didn't, if, Mc, if McKay had not gotten a BAFTA nomination, I wouldn't have picked him. Me either. But obviously, it's, it's but strong, that was that was like a, oh my god, that just happened. I know, and it's a It's the only movie there that has the three nominations of screenplay, director, picture. Now I don't know if. How the buzz is going to change. I don't know where it's going to go. He's going to Congress with the movie. You know what I mean? I know. So we don't Wait, know. Wait, stop, stop. Who's going to Congress? What? Adam, Adam McKay. McKay. He's bringing um, Big Short to Congress to show it to them. He's already shown it to Elizabeth Warren and a bunch of other people, but he's actually, all of Congress is sitting down to watch the Big Short. That's, that's terrific, don't you think? I love yeah, that. I mean, that's I what too. I love about this film. It really says, the, it tells the truth in a very precise and, 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 and moving way, and I thought it was, that's great. That's yeah. good. Yeah, so we don't know where it's going to go, buzz-wise, or The Revenant. I mean, The Revenant could just keep going. I've seen this happen in the Oscar race before. It just goes up, 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 and it doesn't stop, you know? So that's what Eric's predicting, and I think that's a good prediction. I mean, there's no, yes, there are stats that oppose it, but they're not like ironclad, you know, doesn't, SAG Ensemble might be one of those, though. It might be. Nothing is ironclad right now. That's that's what we know, because, and and again, I think we've, we've mentioned on podcasts before, right now, no matter who wins of the top contenders, it's going to be a big deal, because it's going to break with a long time of tradition only if it's it'll only break if it's the revenant winning or spotlight if it's big short it won't break it'll be right in line with the stats you remember the old-fashioned term that used to be kicked around uh, uh it certainly was in when i was going to film classes and whatnot it's and, and even up until the early part of the century it's called the rooting factor remember that one the rooting factor. It's part of why you like a film because you're rooting for someone or some groups, usually yes, a least yes. character to prevail, whatever it is. I mean, they might want something on the beginning, but then they change their mind. There is no real rooting factor in the big short. That's, That's not what- true. That is not true. More Hollywood people I know, including Megan Ellison, have written about how everybody has. Megan Ellison said she wants it to win just so more people will see it. And and it's like the. Well, I agree with that. That's it, more people should no, see. I'm it, saying no, I'm saying that it has that Hollywood thing. It, it people are talking about. I hear more people on my you know that I know who aren't anywhere near the Oscar race or anything talking about The Big Short than any other movie. That's how I was starting to think about it differently because 
in our bubble, it was like Mad Max, Mad Max, and then me with the Martian, the Martian, and you with Spotlight, Spotlight, and it was like, but everybody I talked to out there, they were kind of like, yeah, the Big Short's great. You know, we love that movie, love the yeah. Big Short. So there I, is. I, I know what Jeff means. I, I know. I'm, I think I know what he means, and I and I do agree, agree with him because the end of the Big Short is a big wah wah because it says, oh, guess what? After all this, nobody except for this one dude got prosecuted. Yeah, but that's great because it's true. <laughs> Yeah, but that's I think that's kind of where and and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. I think that's what you mean, where you're kind of rooting for this, you know, yeah. thing yeah. to happen, and then it doesn't but happen. That's the same with the Revenant. I mean, it's like the end. He kills that guy, but it's like, so what? I mean, he's still he doesn't bummer. kill him though. He lets he lets the Indians kill him. The other people Americans. do it right, instead, right. which but is it's, it's not- an even better form of altruistic revenge. Right, but it doesn't have that hit at the end it just doesn't it doesn't have the same hit it's it's a somber reflection just like spotlight spotlight like, is too spotlight's like short. okay this happened sort of <laughs> same with the revenant they all three have the same ending the only difference is i think if you want to go there and i i can totally dig it is that the revenant has it does inspire passion when you're watching it it really does it inspires feeling more than the other two so look at this you guys one thing we haven't talked about is that it's the clash of the titans. You have Lisa Tayback on Spotlight. You have Leia Yardum on The Big Short, and you have Cynthia Schwartz on The Revenant. <laughs> yeah. So this is, and then you have Michelle Robertson on. on I honestly the- think, uh, Sasha, at this stage of the game, we're in February now, that the those those three uh, extremely skilled women who are masters of their realm uh, i don't think they're controlling it anymore i don't think they're they're urging it along it's it's taken on whatever's going on it's between i think that's i think that's naive and i think that if the revenant was as strong as you thought it was it would have won the pga and i think that the momentum can help it that's true it is a shorter season but i would be you know i would gird your loins i I have never been (laughs) I have never been convinced or persuaded that the Revenant was really strong. I've always been conflicted on it. I've always defaulted to my initial impression, which was this is a masterful film that's probably not going to be a huge financial success because it's a very melancholy film. It's it's beautiful, but it, it it's soul draining. It, by the end of it, uh, particularly you saying that big hit at the end that you look for when a when something is resolved, it doesn't have a big hit when he when, when Tom Hardy dies. Like, okay. I guess that means the film is at an end. That's all I was feeling. And, I, I, I was exhausted by the time that film ended the first time. I tried to watch it a second time, and it's it was um, it was just still so beautiful and so immersive. And that I mean, it's just between Leo and the and landscape, it's just incredible. I'm still the, the really second time is when it kicked up for me. I mean, yeah. that's when I started to go. I got past the exhaustion. Right. And I started to appreciate more the, the painterly perfection. Absolutely. And- I don't want to trash The Revenant because I think it's a good movie. You know, I don't want to trash it. But, yes, it will annoy me that I get to go to the Oscars again for a second <laughs> year and I have to fucking watch Interreach. Uh, let's talk about that. Why are you going to the Oscars if you didn't have that much of a good time last year? You're gonna. Where did you sit last year? What was it? You, you thought it was, you know, a little... Odd being way up in, in heaven and yeah, and it was in the nosebleeds, and it's well, it's a huge pain in the ass to get all dressed up and walk around in your high heels and your tight dress, and you know have nobody to talk to and no date. Did, but you, didn't you say you had an interesting moment in the um, in the bar area? Don't people go down and like shoot the shit during uh, commercials and whatnot? It's no, it's like I mean, not to be offensive or anything, but it's like uh, it's like Sunset Boulevard card game. Like it's like there are these really old people. 
Kind of like oh, the waxworks, the waxworks. They're sort of standing there. Buster, Buster Keaton, Pat. All dressed up in their feathers and finery, and it just it, feel, it does feel like like the top deck of the Titanic. It's just really surreal. Oh my it's god! Of, it's sort I of like, love it. And so, but the cool thing is, is what you do get about the Oscars is nobody watches it from the seat. They all go out and they hang out at the bar. Yeah. And they schmooze, and they all drink, and they watch it on the monitor. Because you know what? You can't see anything from your seat, and you, you can't see on the monitor. So if you want to watch the Oscars, you have to go out to the bar. <laughs> that sounds miserable. No. Uh, Sasha, you're wearing a kind of a longish gown. Isn't that kind of difficult to wear a longish gown when you go to the Oscars? Something yeah, I mean, I might, might do that again, or I might just wear, like, you know, I don't know, something like a pantsuit. <laughs> you know... It's great. And why do you have to wear like high heels? Can't you just wear modest heels, sensible heels? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, the Oscars. Because it's nighttime. And it's about fashion. You know, all the Oscars are supposedly about fashion and you want to look nice. You know, it's just, uh, I'll never forget poor John Voigt standing there with his like rent a date. And she had like her phone charged, phone charged into the wall and he had to like sit there in his tuxedo while she charged her. Oh, my God. I mean, she was much younger. No, not John Voigt. It was. It was John Savage. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> right. Goodness. Poor John Savage. I should cut that out, huh? That's sort of mean, right? No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. There are both panels. Uh, Sasha didn't uh, come up this weekend for the Santa Barbara Film Festival. She's coming up on what day is it? Tuesday, Wednesday? Maybe Tuesday. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, you're, it's, it's up in the air. You haven't decided. I haven't. Yeah, I ask you, if you blew off the first weekend, why are you even coming on Tuesday? What's going on on Tuesday? It's Sylvester What's... Stallone. Oh, sure. Right. Uh, at the Arlington, yeah. Mm-hmm. You th- uh, by the way, do you guys both uh, have any doubt about him winning, and why do you think it's absolute? You know, he's not – I could uh, raise this, this point that I've, I've mentioned with others, which is that uh, he made one really good film, which uh, – and, and, you know, Rocky, which is a, still works. I saw it recently. I, I, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I watched it again. It's a very well-made film, but that's also a credit to, to Avelson and not just Stallone and his performance, but it's very good. And then he did another really good film about six years later called First Blood that was directed by Ted Gottschalk, the first Rambo film. And after that and since that, the man has just basically been cashing in on his machismo. And not really trying that hard, and not interested really in, in trying. He made one attempt um, in the was it the late nineties called Copland. What year was that? Was that mid nineties, late nineties? Ninety six. Ninety six. And that didn't really work. And then he went back to the you know exploitation films, and then he, then he started making these kind of half comedies with the you know Rambo Returns. And and why so why, what's all this love about? I mean he's 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 done fine financially, uh, you know the the Expendables being his latest paycheck uh, gigs, but he hasn't put his heart into it that much. He's 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 dabbled as a as a quality guy, but mostly he's just been you know making money and have, and living his life. So what's the big thing about? Let's give it to Sly. We love him. Let's. What's that all about? Do you think? What do you think, Eric? I, I don't know. I mean, one, I do think he's undeniable. I think he's absolutely locked, and Idris Elba's sag win proved that. It's done now. It's totally cemented mm-hmm. that he's going to win. Um, but I think there is, and all you have to do is look at the response from audiences every time Stallone shows up for anything, even at the NAACP Awards. Huge standing ovation. There is a sense of <clears throat> redemption right. with him that is so overwhelming, and because it is such a 
a, a, a metaphor for, you know, a boxing movie in general. Uh, and because his performance is actually really good and he doesn't overdo it. And right. Ryan Coogler doesn't overdo it with the cancer thing, not even for a moment. Mm-hmm. So his win is not only going to be justifiable, but it's going to make people feel good. Yeah, and it comes, it brings Rocky thing full circle, because it's like, I think that we don't really, I mean, until Star Wars and, and, and uh, Creed, it's sort of like, you're seeing this like whole generations of fandom kind of coming around full circle, and I think with Rocky, this is like when you say redemption, what you're saying is, we're forgetting all that shit in between, and we're just looking at the pure Rocky film, and, and what that meant to all of us back then, and how much we love it, and you know, yeah. even I, who's been like ragging on Rocky for like 10 years because it beat all the president's men and taxi driver and, um, and, uh, network. Um, but I watched it again and I thought, you know what, this is the sweetest movie. He's the sweetest guy. So part of it is just loving the Rocky character itself. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, Sylvester Stallone is actually kind of a cool dude. Like he's a smart sort of sensitive artist type. He's not the macho guy. You ever that met I him, Sasha? No, I haven't had the pleasure. So it's one of the or reasons. kind of chat with him, you know, just anything. You know? No, I know. I want to go see him. That's why I'm driving all the way up there. I really want to see Sly. He's the only one in that whole thing. And I, oh, wanna... I, I had a chance to last month, but I couldn't. Oh, my God. Well, I, if I could just interject, I uh, <clears throat> before I refocused my life on journalism, I worked as a publicist in the mid-'80s. Mm. And I worked at, uh, for a time for Bobby Zaram and Dick Delson. And their prime client when I worked for them, which was 85 and 86, was Sylvester Stallone. So I actually worked for him oh my God. Uh, in, a, in a sense, not, real, not directly. I was working for these two guys. But I was there. I was hanging with him uh, you know, a fair amount of time, you know, watching him, uh, not much conversation. And my impression of the guy back then, now this is when he was quite the, the big fellow. This is right when the, the, the Rambo Part Two, which is one of his biggest financial successes, was about to come out. I didn't, frankly, have a great sense of his um, being an, an approachable, um, nice, sweet guy. He was kind of stuck on himself at the time. But that's not the worst thing. I mean, but, you know. No, and, and, you know, people change and, you know, life sort of kicks the shit out of you, doesn't it? Kicks you right in the teeth. And so, yeah, I mean, and look at look at, at what he is like now and how humble that he's been with all of this acclaim. Yeah. It's um, it's it caught him by surprise because it caught everybody by surprise. Yeah. And and he's he's just I'm like, I don't know. I know it's it's huge. I think you're right. I don't think anybody's not going to vote for Sylvester Stallone. I I don't think so either. And, and even you know, I'll, I'll I can look at you know like Jack Palance and uh, Don Amici and James Coburn and go yes, you know the Academy likes these supporting actor old guys and giving them you know these these career achievement wins. But it's not even like that. Yeah, but I could see the only thing I could see is if you're talking about Revenant. I could see, because I think Tom Hardy, especially on the second viewing, is really, really good in The Revenant. I didn't think he was the first time I saw it, but then I started to think about Tom Hardy and all the different roles he played this year, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought, you know, there's a chance that that might sweep up in there, is that Tom mm-hmm. Hardy win. Wow, that would that would be quite something if that happened. It would be, and I'm not predicting it. I don't have the guts to go against Sly. There's no way, but I'm just No, I, I, I don't either, but I know what you mean, because The Revenant overperformed with its nomination so much and Tom Hardy was one of those. Yeah. Right, right. He was Which shows how much it's supported by all 
branches of the Academy. Here we go except back into the wonky the writers. Except, except the, the writers. writers. Yeah, but, you know, Titanic didn't have a problem with that. Titanic had a sag on Samuel Nam, but yeah. True. And no, I know. If, if the Revenant wins, it's going to bust down a lot. Oh, we're stopping. We're stopping. Okay. The one more thing, though. Um, uh, the, the Santa Barbara Film Festival is having a really cool director's panel also that week. I think it's Thursday. Yes, that's correct. So that's the other thing I really want to see. I'm excited to see those. That'll be a good thing, yeah. yeah. All of them on, on stage with uh, Scott Feinberg. Right, right. I have to be wary of poor, of Scott Feinberg, one of my good friends, and because he he did this last year with uh, with Linkletter and uh, and all the other, and it went on for like two hours plus, and I was in pain at the end. You gotta like bring these things in around ninety. Really, if you can't do a, uh, you know who's really good at doing uh, interviews with several people at the same time, really juggling the balls is Dave Carter, who handled the uh, virtuosos. He is superb. He cuts right to the chase. He doesn't stammer. He doesn't meander. He's very professional. He's, he's, he's like the, the new Leonard Maltin, in, in my view. Yeah, because he's used to TV, right? And in TV, you have to make it. You know, who's also probably like that, if he ever got the chance, would be Tom O'Neill, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But um, but how was the spotlight thing? It looked, I mean, because sometimes Roger, bless him, can, can go on a little bit long. Well, it was relaxed. You know, um, you know, Roger, what's really nice about him personally and as a uh, moderator that he conveys an intimacy or a vulnerability. You feel that it's, it's really Roger up there. He's not putting on airs. And it was not forced. He was, <clears throat> he got good conversation out. And what happened is that Keaton, bounced back and made everything kind of a, a smart-ass remark. Everything was funny. Everything He was amusing, you know, because he didn't want to get solemn and talk yeah, about right. how proud he was. You know, he just was, he was joking with it. And McAdams was, was beautiful and, and talking about, you know, how she used to be a jock and how there's uh, this whole, <clears throat> uh, you know, elation she's feeling at, at being part of this thing. But it wasn't so bad. I mean, you know, we're all kind of tired of talking about Spotlight and, all, frankly, all these films because they've been on the, except for Revenant, that is. Uh, but, you know, Spotlight's been on the on the conversational table since last Labor Day. And, I know. Uh, God, and, you I know, know, how many months can you talk about it? You know, I watched the uh, Johnny Depp interviews on YouTube. They were great. I mean, I don't know if it came through in real life, but the but him, I mean, I always love it when you watch someone like a pro, like Keaton, or I've seen Steve Carell do it. I, um, when they get up there with Roger, they just kind of start entertaining the crowd because yeah, they yeah. can feel that they don't, they want to give the people what they think they want. And so right. they're just natural entertainers and they start to, Johnny Depp did that so well. It seemed like he had like the, the crowd in the palm of his hand. Is that how it was in real life too? Yes. Cause you're, you're everything he said was subversive. He never quite ever gave Leonard Moulton the, uh, you know, the <clears throat> humble brag response that most people uh, give for, they know what they're expected. You know, Leo, when he's done yeah. the same thing, but Johnny Depp was really a subversive, and I was I was saying, you know, I was kind of pissed off when he was late because he was ridiculously late in showing up for this thing, and his, and you know the fans they sit out in front of the Arlington for quite a long while hoping that he'll come over or you know the celebrity would come over, sign a little autographs, you know, shake some hands, and he, because he was so late, he had to blow them off. Yeah, it was too, really too bad. I mean, I feel for people that like really put in their. You know, their their legs are aching. They've been staying there forever, and the guy just Aww, walked right in. That you know? Is, but, you know, I never really – I mean, I think I've always thought he was cute. 
and good looking, but I never really got the Johnny Depp thing, like why so many people were so in love with him until I watched those videos and I thought, wow, man, yeah, that is an attractive man. Oh, well, wait a minute, though. I mean, arguably, yeah, just to be, I mean, he's not uh, really at his peak attractive. I know, it's, it's, but it's his personality that shone through to me that was so attractive. He's so smart. It, it, it's a very attractive personality and a very attractive guy in, in a spiritual personality sense. But, you know, the, let's, let's be blunt here. He's been um, letting himself go. He's a little heavier. He's, you know, drink is part of his life. There was that uh, Tom was telling me about an element, uh, something that happened at some recent event like a year ago. Yeah, uh, you know, he could he could probably uh, do well to uh, to consider the sober route. Seriously. Somebody wrote me something saying he's definitely using again. I don't know who it was, but uh, I forget. But um, you mean getting high? Pot? I don't know. That's just the word I heard, or maybe I saw it on Twitter. I don't know. But get um, high all his life. I mean, he was wearing pot socks last night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, marijuana leaf socks. I mean, he's 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 really a yeah. Cool. But but he's got his face is like coke bloat face. <laughs> so it's alcohol. I mean, when you get to be fifty and you're not being pretty rigorous with yourself, you start to <laughs> look a little heavier. <laughs> I'm laughing at Coke bloat. <laughs> it's a thing. Oh, my God. Look at Zac Efron. He's this young kid with a great body, but his face looks like 15 years of cocaine. <laughs> Who else has Coke bloat? Oh, my God. So is that what you were alluding to when you said you've heard he's, quote, unquote, using again? Is that what you mean? I don't know. I, I can't say. I mean, it's your He sure seems kind of messy. <laughs> Just going to say that much. Anyway, it was a delight to be with a guy who wasn't playing long and it was doing something different. So, yes, you're, it was an, entirely a pleasure. And uh, he's a winning guy to hang with. And I, it makes me kind of wish I had a chance to interview him or something because he's cool. He's I know. I liked cool. when Leonard would ask him some question and then he would just he, he would just either not answer it or he would just pause for a really long time and then give a really funny. There's a line where Leonard says, could I ask you? And Depp, Depp goes, no. Yeah. <laughs> he was just so funny and charming. I mean, with Leonard Malton, I, I also would have liked to have seen Roger interview him because I think that would have been a funny pairing, too, the yeah. two of them. But um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that that was uh, pretty cool that he went and did that, even though he didn't get a nomination. I'm glad for that. <laughs> you guys were all so right about Johnny Depp. Thank I, you. Know how happy I am to be right about that. <laughs> you were right. You were so for right. so many reasons. <laughs> um, I'm really kind of curious, and I don't know if I should interject this or not, but I'm really curious if the pers- but the backlash of the Oscar So White thing is something that helps in your retu. I was thinking that too. My because God. I really do think that it's something to think about. Yeah. And, and and the idea that they don't necessarily want to walk away from this having rewarded Oscar so white. You know, rewarding yeah. well, the second Mexican, third consecutive Mexican director. Do you know that, that this year this will be the sixth consecutive? Six in a row. Six yep. in a row. Never other, any other time in Oscar history where a non-American yep. has won Best Director. Like, you have well, to wonder. It wasn't Idris Elba's uh, two SAG wins about Oscar so white? It could have been. It could have been. But 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 the thing with Inaritu is that that's a pretty cool stat to have a three back to back Mexican directors winning. I do wonder sometimes though what's happening with American cinema because all the directors in the short categories they're all from other countries too, and the mm-hmm. directing winner is always from another country. And and you're just starting to wonder like what's happening with our American film industry and what why are our directors not making the kind of movies that 
that the academy uh, likes. Let's. I have an idea. Let's wrap it up with one final argument, which is the um, Gen Yamato thing, which I thought was one of the easily the stupidest um, um, topic that popped this week. Just to recap, those who haven't, uh, who didn't read it, she was interviewing the Cohen brothers, and she was talking, of course, about their new film, um, Hill Caesar, which is set somewhere around 50 or 51. And she said to them, why isn't your, why is uh, Hail Caesar so white? Why isn't there more uh, of a diversity element in the casting? And people said, well, of course, they ne- they've rarely gone with, uh, with a diverse cast. They tend to just cast it as they, as they want. And I, my view was that it was absurd, given that uh, it was a film set in the early 50s. There was next to no sense of diversity or any interest in even the, the concept of diversity back then. Uh, you look at any film made back then, uh, you know, The Day the Earth Stood Till, Strangers on a Train, I Confess, any of those films, they don't have, you know, if you see any people of color or any people who are Hispanic, you know, they're, they're porters, they're maids, you know, forget it. There isn't any sense of diversity. So it was like completely ridiculous that you would suggest that they somehow uh, instill in this 1950 or 51 set film a 2015 or 2016 sensibility as far as diversity is concerned. I, I don't think she asked that, though. She asked... Do you ever think about diversity in your films? And do- she didn't say that. She said, "Why is it so white? Why is uh, she, you want me to quote you the piece?" Yeah, why because is- when I read it, I thought she just said, um, "Do you ever?" Because th- he said, "Oh, that's an idiotic question" or something, and she said, "No, I'm just wondering. Do you ever think about diversity when you're writing a film or when you're conceiving a film? Do you ever think about that?" That's not what she said. Okay, so read me the quote, then I stand corrected. I mean, she said, you know, do you have a responsibility to be diverse in your casting of films? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. That was basically her thing. Right. So she didn't say, why is it so white? That's a complete distortion of what she said. She's asking, do you have a responsibility? Because everybody's it, talking about Oscars so white right now. So it was a fair question for any journalist to ask. He said, why is, why is Hail Caesar so white? She was using a hashtag. Oh, why is Hail Caesar so white? She said I, that to them. I think she made the mistake of focusing on Hail Caesar because it's a really terrible example. I don't think it's a mistake to ask the Cohen brothers why there isn't more diversity in, in their films. They have plenty of films that do not require uh, white characters, yet they rarely, rarely, rarely employ them. And, and why is that? And they acted like they're not responsible for doing that, and that's entirely wrong because they're completely responsible. That's that's the whole argument. I think is that, that is not giving the opportunity. And they're, and they're the people that that do it. They write and direct the movies. You well, can't the, retroactively reimagine eras in the past so that it fits a politically correct paradigm. Actually, that's not true, Jeff, because there really were plenty of minorities around Hollywood's film sets and stuff. It wasn't all white. It was They just weren't on in front of camera, and that's something you could show if you wanted to, if you cared. You could show how they were not used or how they were um, black-faced or Asian-faced. or um, that, that kind of thing can be shown if you're really, really telling the truth. Those people weren't invisible. They were there. They just weren't shown on, on camera. Very minor roles. I yeah, mean, think, think of how many white actors played non-white roles in the 50s and 60s. And also, if you go back to Hattie McDaniel winning the Oscar back for Gone with the Wind, she got a lot of shit from the black community. There were a lot of actors trying to get work back then. She said, that was the 30s, and she said, you know, I'd rather make $700 a week playing a maid 
than seven dollars a day working being one being one some paraphrasing but i'm just saying there was a big (laughs) huge coalition of actors back then black actors who wanted to get work and who were being employed that's in the 30s it did they they were being employed in the 50s i mean i'm not saying the coen brothers have to i'm not at all i'm saying that martin scorsese doesn't use cast very many minority characters neither does woody allen um a lot of the 70s gods you know the the main generation that influences film critics today, which are why they're so defensive at even the suggestion of it being brought up, they come out of the John Cassavetes, Martin Scorsese, and all that. Um, the 70s were much more racially diverse in films than they are now. They were really diverse. If you go back and watch the 70s movies, you'll see the full-on afros. But that was only because people kicked up a fuss, and they were having, they were protesting that. The fuss was only began to be kicked up with Freedom Rider, um, uh, with the civil rights movement in the mid-50s. It didn't really catch on until the early 60s with the kids down in the, in, in the South trying to register voters. That's when it really caught on in, in our culture. Right, it but, you know, the Coens are interested in the white experience. They're interested in the cinema of the white community, and that's fine. They're under no obligation to do it. She had the right to ask them the question. That's all I'm saying. She did. She's a journalist. She's not doing a puff piece. She had a right to say to the Coens, what do you think about this? And they gave a really good answer. Joel didn't, but Ethan certainly did. He said, not in the, she said, quote, as filmmakers, is it important or not important to consciously factor in concerns like diversity? In other right. words, is it important or not to, regardless of what time period you're making something about the 1870s or 1950s, are you going to, like, put in our world and our sense of fairness and, 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 and you know, truth and, and the way it should be, are you going to insert that that value system that we all share and now. And they said no. They answered her no. So there, she had her answer. She asked, they answered it. And everybody has their own different opinion as to whether you should factor in diversity. Now, I think personally that you should. When I'm, I'm writing a novel right now, and there's no, I mean, I'm, even though my inclination would probably be to just focus on white characters, I would never do that because we don't live in that kind of world anymore. We don't live in a singularly white world. That's our experience, maybe. But we have to expand and broaden our thinking, or we will become dinosaurs. They will become dinosaurs. That's a different thing. You're talking about if you're going to write about, uh, about your life and about the way things are now, of course you have to write about the way things are now. But the, the, the idea of taking... The, the values that you are talking about and that we all share and, and to insert them into something in the past when the evolution, social evolution, had not really reached any level of maturity. It's just, it you know, would have made Hail Caesar a better movie. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm guessing that if they had put in one person who was like a makeup trailer person or, you know, and had a, had a good scene, I don't know if they even uh, go backstage. I don't, cause I, I don't want to speak ignorantly about the story. I'm yeah. just saying it makes it better when you broaden the conversation. You don't leave as many people out. Aren't you making, who are you making movies for? Film critics? Or are you making movies for audiences? And do you even care what they think about your movies? Or do you feel like I can just sit here with my paintbrush and my canvas and I'm not making movies for anybody or and or I'm only making movies for white people to watch and black people or any person of color fuck you I don't care about you coming to see my movie it doesn't matter to me you're I basically saying that in order to attract a, a diverse culturally diverse audience you have to reimagine the past in order to make it appeal I do I think if you're evolving as an artist in our culture you have to start thinking that just way just like that moron Steven Spielberg had uh, uh, two black soldiers from the Union Army speaking one-on-one to Abraham Lincoln in the beginning. 
moron. as if that was something that would actually have happened. I don't think it's a, he's a moron. And I like what Adam McKay did in The Big Short, where he cast one of the main characters as a black character. It didn't even matter. And you're right. You can do that in the modern day. And you can't do that as well in period. But that doesn't mean you have to make them invisible. That's all. Well, the, the problem for me was just their the Cohen's response that they are not responsible. They blame the, pu- the public. And the Ethan Cohen's quote was to the question, how does one facilitate the change you're talking about, was, was the question. And he said, that will be facilitated when people want to see those movies, but nobody wants to blame the public. So he was saying that people don't want to see movies with black leads when <laughs> Straight Outta Compton and Creed were huge blockbusters. And Star Wars, hello. And... Yeah, and their movies are not. So I don't know where he comes off thinking that he is somehow or they are somehow above having to do that. It's I thought their response was incredibly insulting and ridiculous, but her questions were wrong to begin with. The fact that they didn't extrapolate from it and use it as a positive and instead got defensive was unfortunate. I don't think there's anything lower on the on the creative scale than as uh, as um, was it Ethan or Joel who said you can't you don't sit down and write a story and say I'm going to write a story that involves four black people three Jews and a dog you know that's not how stories get written if that you don't understand that you don't understand anything about if how they stories wrote get written that story it would be a great story that's all I'm saying the, the, this is what he said and and the the beginning of it is the crux of the problem. He said, the only sane response is that you can only write what you can write. You can't sit down and say, I'm going to write something that follows or dictates what the American culture thinks should be happening in terms of cultural diversity and storytelling. To be honest with you, that's completely lunatic. That is the problem, the very beginning. You you write what you can write. Because writers are always told from the very beginning by any mentor or any teacher, write what you know. If you're a white man and your experience is all about white culture and other white men, you're going to only write about white men because your experience is not vast enough. That's the problem right there. That's, that is a really good – that's a good point. And the thing is is that um, they, they sh- they're being very defensive, but the fact is that everybody writes that way. It's just yes. that this one thing they're counting up. They don't write – you know, the the, mo- the best example of that was Quentin Tarantino with The Hateful Eight and, and his treatment of the Jennifer Jason Leigh character. I mean, he did break the rules there because he did create a kind of battering situation with that character, but usually you don't. Usually you adhere to certain cultural restrictions. We don't make movies about Nazis where we don't shame the Nazis. We don't make movies about, com- you know, blacklisting guys during the 50s without making them look wrong. We do shape our dramas and our stories to be within the realm of our own broad understanding of of political correctness of right and wrong. We do that as writers. We always do. It's just a matter of what you think is important and what you don't, I guess. That's that's why when you look at the black people that have won acting Oscars, you don't see uh, inventors and leaders you see criminals maids slaves poor people you see the the white person's version of black history right right and nothing else when there are plenty of fantastic stories to be told and it just it drives me insane 
Oh, I hear that. I, 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 yeah. I mean, okay. I think that people can get mad. Are you still there, Jeff? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I think people can get mad at Jen Yamato and call her a bitch like they all did and pounce on her the way they did. But I, I think that what she's done is she's stirred a conversation that a lot of people are having and, and that that's interesting. I don't. Think and I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, I think the Coens are used to getting kind of special treatment <laughs> because they're so great, but we all treat them like gods. And it's clear from the reaction that, that people still think of them that way. Like they're untouchable. You can't ask them this question. How insulting. How dare she ask that question? Um, I have to admit that when I, I drove by the poster for Hail Caesar and I saw that all, it was right at the time the controversy was breaking and I looked at that poster and I thought, oh shit, people are going to look at that and they're going to go, yep, there's a whole bunch of white people in that poster. I'm not going to go see that movie because people are starting to make those kind of choices with their money. Um, and that's why a lot of them aren't going to even watch the Oscars now. This 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 Oscars so white thing is terrible PR for them. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. it's, it's let's a uh, let's let's um, um, start. Uh, let's make Beckett again uh, with uh, <coughs> Henry Beckett and and uh, I mean Henry the Second and, and Thomas Beckett. And let's make Thomas Beckett an African American. Well, do you know the musical Hamilton and right now that's on that's the huge biggest hit on Broadway right now that you can't even get a ticket to. You know right. that musical. You know how yeah. they cast it? Uh, it's all black. Is that it? Well, a lot of the characters are black, and they don't even offer... I haven't seen it, but they don't even like offer an explanation. They don't say... But that's how you do it, because yeah. it's not revisionist history to do what they're doing. What they're doing is offering a mirror that makes you look at something differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is a, t it's a totally different thing, and, and you kind of have to do it in that extreme to make that work. You can't simply take a real life, you know, white character. You're not going to make Lincoln and make Abraham Lincoln black because it doesn't make sense. But it would be cool what? though, wouldn't it? I, I don't know. It has to be in the right context, like the way the Hamiltons did it. Yeah, I, I love that they did it. I think that that is the kind of thing that people, young people are looking to for sort of invigorating storytelling. I don't think that they're going to look at Hell Caesar and go, that's invigorating storytelling. They're going to look at it and they're going to go, okay, it's a little boring. And people like us, older people, are going to go, oh, wow, the Coens, isn't that great? They made another Hollywood nostalgia movie. And I'm saying this as a huge fan, by the way. You know No Country for Old Men is my favorite film of all time. I'm a huge fan of theirs. I'm just saying that, you know, you get to a point where you got to kind of adapt or die. You know? Adapt or die, but you're also saying that it doesn't make any difference if you are misrepresenting a culture or a time in our in our history or in England's history. Or it doesn't make any difference. You just have to kind of mix it up and. I re sort of yeah. I, I mean, I, I sort of think that we're entering. I've uh, you and I have talked about this a lot, Jeff. Where we're starting to enter a phase where that those lines aren't going to matter so much anymore. Like they're just not like it's, it's black and white. Isn't going to matter as much. A male female isn't going to matter as much. Those kind of barriers. And, and it's going to, I was watching, I can't remember what movie it was, but I was watching some movie and it just seems so out of date compared to how people think now. And it was a fairly modern film at the time, but if you're going to read, if you're going to read, let's do, let's reproduce or make a new Lawrence of Arabia, but have it, what, uh, what? How would? I mean, really? At what point do you start saying this? Do you stop? Well, well, what we're saying is that black people are are required to carry the burden forever of being the black community that came out of slavery. Just because your skin is black, you are required to carry that history. Where white people can play anything. Look at any movie, Noah. 
You can put white people in any movie, even though they weren't supposed to be fucking white in Noah, right? Yeah, you've got the, the that movie Gods of Egypt coming out in a couple of weeks. You have the Ridley Scott movie. Uh, oh, my God. Now I'm forgetting. What was that? Why, why is it black people? Exodus, in, Gods and Kings. Why do where black people all in All these Asians, Egyptians were played by white people, but all of the slaves in the movie were still brown and black I know, and, and all the g's all the white jesuses it's like but but we don't put that we don't allow them the same freedom to transition we let everybody I would love else... to see a uh, a jesus movie with a guy who looks like he actually came from the middle east right with... wouldn't that be cool it would, would be, be okay it would be That's... a huge movie i can tell you that because the the people of faith community the 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 black uh, people of faith community would be huge supporters of a movie like that. You know that that the core of all of any Jesus movie, which is white Christians, they imagine that Jesus was one of them. They're they're psychotic, but they believe it. They I really mean, no, I know exactly. That's why for all of time, all biblical characters are white. Yeah, and blue eyed. Oh, I, I, oh God! I completely am with you guys on this level, but reimagining history that. We're, just not culturally diverse. It's just ridiculous. I, I agree that 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 in that like yeah, what you guys are saying about Hail Caesar in that context, yes, correct. They were white people, so they're making a movie about a time when it was all white. But Wall Street, same thing, you know, Spotlight, Catholic, they were all white. You can't yeah. just like up and and change history. But I am saying that at some point we have to just free up people with black skin and just fucking let them take parts. You know what I mean? They don't always have to be the black person who's either this or that or this or that or came from. So at some point we have to just say, you know what? People are people and it doesn't really matter. They don't have to always be the black person. That's all. So what are you going to do today? Are you going to go out bike riding? Actually, that's a pretty good idea because there's nothing really to do uh, um, uh, beyond having filed. Which, uh, but I do intend <clears throat> to see the Terrence Malick film this evening, which uh, um, I, I bought the Blu-ray from Germany and it arrived, and somehow I managed to lose it, and so I haven't seen it. So this will be an interesting uh, viewing experience, mm. even though I know it's probably going to be underwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it on on demand right now? Um, oh, is it? Okay. I think so. I think so. But you want to see the, the nicer version. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, this has uh, been uh, contentious and, and fun and uh, nice to talk to you guys. I, I love this uh, being ganged up on, but that's what makes Jeff. us. I think you secretly love it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take my Coke bloat <laughs> and go take on the day. <laughs> I want to start a band called Coke Blow. That's that is a great band name. <laughs> it really is. But it has to be all old guys that only play like <laughs> tiny bars. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> all right, you guys. Listen, have a good day, Jeff. It was nice talking with you both. It was great. I really appreciate it, you guys. All right, bye. Take care. You've been listening to episode... 122 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, and Eric Anderson from AwardsWatch.com. I will be back next week, and the bumper music was Folsom's Prison by Johnny Cash, and Fare Thee Well, sung by Oscar Isaac from the soundtrack of Inside Lewin Davis. Thanks for listening. If I had wings 
like Nora's dove I'd fly the river to the one I love Fell in I felt a 